0: with you today. Thanks so much for having me. The real reason why I'm here is, as you know, I'm from Georgia, and everybody down south said you got to go up there and check on the national championship trophy. I don't know if you, any Buckeye fans here? I figured, I figured. They told me I got to come up. They said they want that thing back, and so (laughs) they sent me to spy on it. In fact, I was in Columbus just yesterday, so watch out. No, congratulations. That's, that's a huge deal for you guys, I know, and it's, it's a big deal in the South, too. And, and to be honest, though, in Georgia, we love football, but they're not as fanatical as they think they are. Because I used to live in Alabama. Those people are fanatical. They really are. They're crazy. And uh, it's hard to, to describe the psychosis that exists in that country, but we have things in Georgia that they don't have like civilization and... No, really. The Braves, the the Hawks, the Falcons, and they like those two. So they like the Bulldogs. They love the Bulldogs, but they're just not crazy, like insane about it. And so, uh, congratulations. I know that's a big deal for you guys, and, and that's just a joke. I really am, really happy to be here. Uh, for some of the reasons that Jeff said, Jeff was the uh, middle school director when I received Christ, and it was his message that he taught. I remember him teaching, examine yourselves whether you be of the faith. And man, God just. Kept brewing on me for a long time with that. And I was a, I don't know why, I just didn't submit to that immediately. I just constantly was afraid, you know, I'm going to go to hell, I'm going to go to hell. And uh, finally gave my life to Christ. So I have a special relationship uh, with him, but also with this whole church because the church where I served as the youth pastor for seven years, it was First Baptist New Philadelphia that brought discipleship to that church. And so a team from your church came and by the product of that, Some people grew in their faith, and they learned how to walk with God. They were trained for ministry, and a group from that church was sent out, my wife and I plus seven other adults, were sent out from our mother church to start Connect Church, and that wouldn't have happened without you. Not only because the people were discipled, but also because right now you're a financial partner. Not only are you praying for us, but also you're putting your money, you know, where your mouth is, and and you're investing in it. Man, that's awesome. I want to just say thanks. Thank you for being a part of that. It really means a lot to me, and and even better than that, I recently had the privilege of teaching through Luke chapter 16. It's a parable of the unjust steward, and there's some perplexing things in there, but a really awesome parable. At the end of it, Jesus talks about investing in his kingdom, and he says, when you do, that you'll make to yourselves friends in eternal habitations. And what Jesus is indicating is, one day you're going to get to heaven, And if you've given to the ministry of this church, and if you've given to missions, then one day when you get to heaven, there's going to be somebody who lived in Emerson, Georgia. You'll probably never meet them here on earth. But they're going to invite you into their eternal habitation, their mansion in heaven, and you're going to get to hang out with them. You'll have a relationship with them because of your investment in his kingdom. And what I want to talk to you about today is that kingdom. God's design for that kingdom. Because thankfully... God never asks us to do anything without giving us clear instructions and a clear pattern on how to do that. This, this passage of Scripture that I, I really want to speak to you about today was just monumental in my life. Because in 2010, I came back from a mission trip, and you've got to be careful with mission trips. Because <laughs> God will do something in your heart, and He'll really get a hold of you. And so I came back from a mission trip and told our pastor, I don't know what it is, but God's challenging me to have a bigger vision what he wants to accomplish in my life and in our church and I've kind of just been stuck in the day to day doing ministry and God wants me to get a bigger vision for it so if you want me to teach a class or if you want to help take something off of your plate you know whatever I can do to help I'm a part of it and he said man I'm glad you said that for a long time we've said we value corporate reproduction or reproducing our church and we've never done it we've never birthed another church Why don't you pray about starting a church? And I don't know what was going on on my face, but behind my face was like, no way. I will never do that. And then over the next several weeks of sleepless nights and walking through God's word, he just confirmed, this is what I've got for you. And as I began to seek counsel from godly men who are around me, he just confirmed, you know, this is what I've done with you everywhere you've gone whether it was starting a small group in the high school ministry in Decatur or starting a youth ministry from scratch in Cartersville. That's just how God has used me. And I began to get really excited about it and started to get ready. And as I'm just reading through this, I come to Mark chapter 4, just in my daily devotions. Actually, it's Mark chapter 3. And in Mark chapter 3, Jesus takes his disciples, and he, he calls 12 of them by name. And he says, I'm, now you're my apostles. The word apostles means sent ones, that he was going to send them out. And man, it was awesome because I saw in there that those apostles were totally different from each other. There's, there's a couple of them whose names mean sons of thunder. And then there's one of them whose name means grace. There's one of them whose name means deceiver. And there's one whose name means reward. They're all different personalities, but God uses them and so don't get caught up if you've got a different personality than mine or from Jeff or from some leader that you really admire. God has a plan for you as well. And he made you just the way he did for his own glory. And so as I read that, that he was sending them out, that was really cool. And I was expecting to see him send them out, but I got to the end of chapter three and you know what Jesus doesn't do? He doesn't send them. He, does, he calls them sent ones, but he never sends them. And Chapter 4, I read through chapter 4, and he doesn't send them. And then I get to chapter 5, and guess what he doesn't do? He doesn't send them. And then finally, in Mark chapter 6, he actually sends them out. And what I realized was, everything from Mark chapter 3 to Mark chapter 6 was their training. He, like where I was in my life, he told me, I'm going to send you out. But I had to get ready and I had to get prepared. By the way, whatever God's going to call you to do in your life, if God calls you to be a brain surgeon, you don't just kind of sit around and say, well, I'll become a brain surgeon when God wants. You get ready. You get prepared. And so most of what he prepares and trains his disciples about, he does by example. Like most of Jesus' discipleship, it's not sit-down, lecture, instruction time. Like in in Mark chapter 3, he teaches them that there's going to be opposition and how to handle that because the Pharisees come and they say Jesus is doing his ministry through the work through the power of Beelzebub. And then he teaches them not to not to focus on the physical, but the spiritual. when he, his family comes to him and he, he says, Those aren't my mothers and my brothers and my my, my mother, and my brother, and my sisters. He says, Those, you, my spiritual family, that's my mother, my brother, and my sisters. And then he goes to chapter 4, and we'll see it in a second, he actually sits down and teaches them. Chapter 5, he shows them that he has power over unclean spirits because in ministry there will be spiritual warfare. And and he teaches them he has power over the seas, and he calms the seas, and he just trains them with everything that they need to know. But Mark chapter 4 is unique in all that. Because he sits those apostles down and he says, now let me give you an instruction about this. Let me show you what the kingdom of God is really all about and what you need to know and how to start your ministries because he's going to send these 12 guys out. And so I want for us to examine Mark chapter 4, a specific parable is, starts in verse 30 of that. And before we start, I mean, you can see in verse 30, he says, Whereunto shall we liken the kingdom of God? Or with what comparison shall we compare it? And Before we get too far, I do want to tell you that you've got to be careful with parables. A lot of times you can get on these parables, and some of them, you have to understand, some of them are written about the kingdom of heaven, and some are written about the kingdom of God. And there's a very distinct difference in the Bible between those two. And so when Jesus teaches about a physical kingdom, he's speaking about a, uh, the kingdom of heaven is a physical kingdom. He's explaining that it has a physical throne, and it will have physical inhabitants. When you drive from Georgia to Ohio, you have to drive through a barren wasteland that most people call Kentucky. If you're from Kentucky, I'm sorry. No, really. If you're from Kentucky, I'm sorry. You drive through, and you drive through, and there's only one two-story building the whole way there, and it's a barn. But then finally you get to the kingdom of Lexington. And you're like, oh, civilization. And you say, lo, here is Lexington, and lo, there is Lexington. You can see people and cars and bridges, and, and you can see traffic. It's wonderful, the buildings. But you can see it. That's the way the kingdom of heaven is. It's physical. But the kingdom of God is different from that. And some parables are about the kingdom of God, and that's about not a physical kingdom, but about a spiritual kingdom. And there will be a verse on the screen. It's from Luke chapter 17. Jesus is explaining this when the Pharisees come. And it says he was demanded of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come. And he answered them and said, the kingdom of God cometh not with observation. Neither say they, lo here or lo there. For behold, the kingdom of God is within you. That is what we're talking about today. If you checked all of these parables in Mark chapter 4, they all begin with the kingdom of God. So we can take the truth that's in here and understand this spiritual kingdom that God has left us on earth to establish and to build. And because he does that through our church, we can look at these and apply them right now to the time we live in our church and even our individual lives. So I want us to see God's design for it. We're in Mark chapter 4 and we read verse 30. Let's check out verse 31 and we'll begin. He's talking about this kingdom of God, and it says, "...it's like a grain of mustard seed, which when it is sown in the earth is less than all seeds that be in the earth. But when it is sown, it groweth up and becometh greater than all herbs, and shooteth out great branches, so that the fowls of the air may lodge under the shadow of it." In this text, I find the most fascinating things, and really God used this profoundly in our ministry and in my understanding of what the church, and really on a broader scale, what God's kingdom is all about, the first thing I want you to see is that God's design is for us to start small. Man, that is awesome. I, we don't hand out notes. Maybe I should, we, but it's like immediately everybody's like writing down. That's awesome. Very cool. <laughs> I'm going to do that from now on in our church. I'm going to print out some notes for those guys. It starts small. And he says here that it starts, it's like a seed, And when he talks about the kingdom of God and how it starts with a seed, you need to understand what or who that seed is. If you went all the way to the beginning of your Bible in Genesis chapter 3, God talks about a coming Savior that would be the seed of the woman. And of course, all the biology students say, wait a minute. The seed is not in the woman, it's in the man. Exactly. Exactly. Because the Savior that he's speaking about will not be born from a man, it will be born from a virgin. And that is the seed, singular seed, that you'll see that this kingdom starts with. Again, a verse will be on the screen, it's Galatians chapter 3 and verse 16. It says, now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made, and he saith not to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed. And he tells you what it is who it is which is Christ the seed that the kingdom of god starts with is Christ he is the seed in fact uh, the verse on the screen is mark 1:15 where he jesus comes and he says the time was fulfilled the kingdom of god is at hand like it's just about to be here i'm bringing it and i'm offering it to you god's spiritual kingdom by the way if you want to know how to get into that kingdom he tells you repent and believe the gospel. So, he says that it's a seed. And he even says that it's less than all seeds. Which is exactly how Jesus would describe himself. It, and you can just write these down, they won't be on the screen. But if you're interested in looking them up, Psalms 119, verse 141 is a prophetic psalm. that speaks of the Messiah. And it says, I am small and despised. In Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9, It says that Jesus was made a little lower than the angels. And the last one about this, Luke chapter 7, verse 28, Jesus calls himself the least in the kingdom. This seed that is less than all seeds is Jesus, and the thing that he says that it has to do before this kingdom can start is he has to be sown in the earth. And that's exactly what happened to Jesus. We're we're coming up on Easter. Before that, it'll be the Passover. That's when we celebrate the death of, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And that seed had to fall to the ground and be buried before it could spring up new life. He said that's where the kingdom of God starts. It starts with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And and that's really cool when you talk about the kingdom of God as a whole. But when we talk about churches, like a local church, it starts the same way. It starts small. Jesus has these 12 apostles that he calls, and all the way in Mark chapter 3, and in Mark chapter 6, when he finally sends them out, he sends them out two by two, and it just doesn't get much smaller than that. That's pretty small. In fact, I I come from a, a large church, right? In Decatur, we ran about 1,200, and as you can see from the picture of the church, now we run about 60 at Connect Church. It's small, and it's different. And in the beginning, it was really small, and it was really different. But that's the way it starts. It starts off small. And it starts the same way that the, other, that the kingdom of God starts, by sowing the seed in the earth. As Jesus explains these parables, Luke 8, 11 will be on the screen. It says, now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. By sowing the seed into the ground, he's saying you're planting God's word into the hearts of men. That's the way we, the church starts. In fact, one more verse will be on there. It's First Peter 1, verse 23. It says, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. That incorruptible seed, he says, by the word of God. And this idea of starting a church by sharing the gospel and making disciples is completely foreign to churchianity the the way that we plant churches today in america part of my preparation to get ready to be sent out was to read church planting books i read about a dozen of them and you know they had lots of information there about marketing and direct mail and websites they had lots of information about about, uh, how to have the right systems in your church and and how to have the lighting just right and the parking and the facilities but astonishingly absent was how to effectively evangelize. How to disciple. I went to some church planting conferences as well and you'll see the same thing. All the physical things that you could do to start a church, much like starting a business. But here, Jesus tells us that it's got to start small by taking the word of God and planting it into people's lives. I don't even know if you remember this, Jeff, but about the time I was going to be sent out, Jeff was a real encouragement to me because I was feeling some of the things he told his pastor as his pastor was sending him to Albania. And he told his pastor, you know, I don't, I don't really know what to do. And his pastor told him, well, you know how to share the gospel and you know how to disciple people and that should keep you busy for a while. Let me just tell you, That will keep you busy for a while. But that's how it starts. With taking the word of God and sharing it. It starts small. I love hearing uh, Mark Trotter talk about the beginning of First Baptist Church. What, like 157 years ago? That's a long time. And how they started a mission from another church. And it started small. At Connect, we started with nine adults but our purpose was to make disciples. That's the way it's got to start. God's designed it to start small, but then it shouldn't stay that way because what we see in verse 32 is that when it is sown, and by the way, it has to be sown. Before people can grow, before the church can grow, you have to sow the seed, but he says, when it is sown, he says, it groweth up, and it becomes greater than all herbs. That mustard seed was the size of a grain of sand. It was the smallest seed that the Jews would use for agriculture. And it ends up being the largest. It's not technically a tree, I don't think, uh, but it's a bush or a tree. It ends up being 15 feet high and 6 feet wide. It started off as a grain of sand. It ends up being many, many, many times greater than it began. That's what happened with the kingdom of God because it started with a single seed, Jesus. And he pours his life into 12 men who then pour their lives into 70. And then at one point, there's 120 in the upper room. And then on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people received Christ in one day. And it says in Acts chapter two that the Lord added to the church daily, that it just kept growing and growing and growing. And that's the way the kingdom of God grew. That's the way our churches should grow. We started small, but we don't want to stay small. We want to reach people and disciple people, and for them to reach people and disciple people. And I'm thankful today there have been 30 people who received Christ at our church. Nine of those are since January. God's really blessed us. And we've had people go through. We have a personal discipleship ministry ministry. We've had people who are going through that and they're learning to walk with God. Now we have people involved in ministry training. Man, we're excited about how God is using us because growth is a healthy thing. If we start small but we never grow up, we failed God's God's purpose for the church. Every analogy that we have in the Bible, Bible that God gives us of the church is of something that's alive and something that grows Right, like a flock or a vineyard. They they grow like a bride. Well, I don't I don't want to suggest that brides keep growing. Let's go on to another one. <laughs> a body. It grows. In fact, there's one time where he where he tells us the church is a building, but when he does in first Peter two he says, It's made of living stones. In Ephesians chapter two, this is up on the screen, it says In whom all the building of the church fitly framed together groweth. This building, the church, it grows. God wants us to grow. That's a sign of health. In fact, at First Baptist, you guys may have started as a small mission, but you are many, many, many times greater than you began. At Connect, we've seen some growth. Lord willing, we're not done. And a lot of people ask us, well, you know what, how big should you be? And this is the big debate in church planting. They they say, you're either an elephant church or a rabbit church. You know, elephant's this big, huge animal, and it reproduces only once or twice in its lifetime. Gesta- gestation period's very long. And rabbits, you know rabbits, they're just popping them out. And he's, there's this big debate, and really, God doesn't call the church an elephant or a rabbit. But there is a lot of variety in the things that God made. And the physical dimensions for us aren't the biggest issue because dimensional growth is one thing, but there's also developmental growth that we want to see. I have a daughter. She's seven years old. She is absolutely beautiful. And she's really smart. She's been, she was saved last year. Awesome. I think she may have the gift of evangelism. She's a really cool kid. When, we, when she was born, you know, the first thing they do is they measure them. So they have this pan thing that they put them in. And she's longer than the pan. I don't even get it. I'm short. My wife is really short. Yet she's this incredibly long thing. And she continues to be in the 90-something percentile for her height. Uh, But they're measuring her head and her weight and her height. Because those dimensions are important. But that's not the only thing that's important, right? They want to see that motor skills are growing. They want to see that she's growing verbally. That she's growing emotionally and mentally. That she's growing socially. Those are developmental, not dimensional. That's the way it is with the church. The church should show signs of development, of spiritual growth, not just size. And so at Connect, it's been really cool. In fact, I tell people this. I I came from a large church. It would be tough for me to go back to a large church because, selfishly, I get to see the growth in these individuals, but as few people as we have, I kind of know them. And I know the situations of their life. And I get to see God deliver them from sins that have tormented them for years. And I get to see them gain victory in those areas. I get to see them learn to walk with God and God open the eyes of their understanding to know His Word. And as they begin to walk with Him and see their prayers answers, as they begin to minister and the development that they have, man, I love it. And it's a very cool thing to see. We have people now... Are, Our disciples are making disciples, so we're to our third generation. We feel like if we can reach one more generation, then we'll see real success. We're excited about what God's doing there, and you guys have a lot to be excited about too. With all that God is doing in you, you don't just have a bunch of attenders and a large crowd, but you have people who are growing And their understanding of God's word and their faith and their giving and their serving and their loving and helping each other. Those are all indicators of spiritual growth. God wants us to grow up. It's his design. The last thing I want you to see is God's design is for us is to reach out. Because there in verse 32, he says, when it's sown, it it grows up and it becomes greater than all herbs. By the way, it is greater than every other herb in the Middle East, the mustard plant. And then he says, and it shooteth out great branches. It shoots out great branches. If you want to know who those branches are, John 15, 5 will tell you that those branches were the apostles in the kingdom of God. He said, Jesus said, I am the vine to those 12. Ye are the branches. And so those are the branches that are be sent out. In Mark chapter 6, they, they are sent out. And the first time he sends them, He says, and there are reasons for this, but he says, I only want you to go to the house of Israel. Only preach to the house of Israel. But then eventually, he's going to say, I want you to go throughout the world. And there's certainly doctrinal reasons why he went to Israel, but it certainly appears to me to be evident in nature. Sometimes we say the nut doesn't fall far from the tree, right? (laughs) That's maybe what my pastor would say about me. Uh, But the fruit doesn't fall far from the tree as well. Usually you have some local uh, extraneous growth that comes on pretty close to the first. And so that may happen. Uh, That's certainly one of the things we were aiming for when we started Connect is to start a church pretty close to where we were. It allowed our people to be a part of it. Uh, But God eventually wanted them to go to the world. You're familiar with, and we'll see later, Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, where he says, you're going to be my witnesses everywhere. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. And that's really where the heart of God is. It's, it's not just for Jerusalem, but for the whole world. Maybe the most famous verse in the Bible is John three sixteen, where he says, that, for God so loved the world. God's heart's for the world, and, and he wants to shoot out Those great branches. And so when we talk about the church, I want you to notice that those branches are in the passive there. They're not shooting themselves out. The main tree is shooting them out. You don't just come up with an idea and say, you know what I think I'll do? I think I'll go shoot myself out. (laughs) The vine shoots out those branches. And he shoots out great branches. In other words... You know, there are some people, Jeff, you probably know, there's probably some people here you'd like to shoot out, right? Like, get those guys out of here. But who you shoot out are your great branches. They're your most faithful people. When, when we started Connect, those nine adults represented some of the most generous givers and some of the most faithful disciple-makers, and some of the most faithful servants and hardworking people that we had in our church. We shot out great branches. And childbirth is not without its pains, right? Church birth won't be without its pains either. And sometimes it's tempting to kind of hang on to those great branches because they're great. <laughs> Aren't they great? I love being around those people. But we do it because that's what God commands us to do, and even John 15, is is up on the screen it says every branch in me that beareth not fruit he taketh away and every branch that beareth fruit he purgeth it that it may bring forth more fruit take the fruit off of the tree and when you shoot out your great branches guess what happens you grow more fruit it's ultimately designed to help us bear even more fruit I do want you to see this. We talked about Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. And um, it just says Jesus is talking to those uh, church, future church leaders. And he says, You shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You'll be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and Judea and to Samaria and to the uttermost part of the earth. And that's Acts chapter 8, 1 and, and verse 8. And what happened was, though, God really started doing some really cool stuff in Jerusalem. I mean, it's never happened in Emerson where I live or in Cartersville, where I was before that, or in Decatur, where I was before that, that 3,000 people got saved in one day. That's just an awesome thing. It's it's hard to compare to that. And, And some people were so awesome, like one guy, his name was Joseph, or we call him Barnabas, that was his name given to him, and he went and sold his property, and came and said, here church, I just want you to have the money. Take care of the people in the church. There were some awesome things going on, And for the apostles, they thought, you know, let's just hang out here in Jerusalem. And they did not go to the uttermost part of the earth. They didn't go to Samaria. They didn't go to Judea. They just stayed in Jerusalem. Then you get to Acts chapter 8 and verse 1. Kind of flip those, Acts 1-8 and Acts 8-1. It says, at that time there was great persecution against the church which was at Jerusalem, And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And somebody shared this with me. I thought I'd share it with you, that that we have a choice. We can either be an Acts 1-8 church and send out our disciples, or we can be an Acts 8-1 church and God will scatter out our disciples. Either way, God's goal is to get the gospel to the whole world. So he wants us to branch out, to shoot out those branches. I love hearing the stories of how God's doing that in your church. How you started a church in Canton, just north of here. You started a church not far from me in Georgia, the River Church. You sent missionaries to Prague. That's branching out. That's shooting out your branches. That's one thing we want to do at Connect. In fact, we have some goals for independence. We want to become self-sustaining financially. We want to become self-governing as far as uh, our leadership, to be able to ordain elders, and we also want to be self-propagating that we could reproduce our church. One of the cool ways that that our people are are reaching out is we teach them how to share their faith, and then we expect them to do that, and um, we give them, they have to share their faith five times a week in this certain class, not like a legalistic standard, the whole church is going to do this or else you're out of the church. Uh, But we have one specific class that trains people to do this. And um, so they share their faith five times a week. And from that, some people are getting saved. In fact, of those 30 that I told you about, none of those count the people who are saved outside of our church, which is probably more than saved inside of our church. And then they start discipleship groups with people who are interested in studying the Bible. And so we're really praying that God will allow some of those to become a separate church. That God will allow us to reproduce, to shoot out a branch to take and make that a church. And so God's doing some pretty cool stuff. We're excited about it. And God has used you in those ways, man. I just don't want us to get get stuck. Because if we start small and we don't grow, we fail God's purpose for our church. And if we start small and we grow, but we never shoot out our branches... We fail God's purpose for our church. I want to, see, I want to show you something. And, all right. This might just open up a can of worms, but that's the good thing about being a guest speaker. You can say whatever you want, and then you have to ask the pastor all the questions, okay? So I'll let you do that. You can thank me later, Jeff. Uh, so in Mark chapter 4, the end of verse 32, just check out what it says. Why is this whole deal important of shooting out your branches? He says, so that the fowls of the air may lodge under the shadow of it. Now, if you read the rest of Jesus' uh, parables and you, and you check out what those fowls represent, they represent angels. And so, you have, as in the Bible, you'll have clean birds and you'll have unclean birds. So, with angels, you'll have clean angels and unclean angels, or what we typically call angels and demons. And so he says here that the purpose of the kingdom, the purpose of the kingdom growing up and reaching out, is so that the angels can have shadow under its, under its, uh, can rest under its shadow. And it's kind of perplexing. And I'm not going to lie to you and and act like I understand that, because I don't. There's a lot of things that God just kind of hints at and eludes at, but He doesn't really tell you the clear purpose of it. He doesn't, at least for me clearly reveal what that means, but we do know this. There's this undeniable link between the kingdom of God, its health, and its reproduction, and the angels. There's, there's something there, and God doesn't tell us exactly what it is, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it talks about the wives, in verse 10, it says that wives should submit to their husbands, and the reason why? Because of the angels and some of these verses that deal with God's purpose in the angels and everything that he's doing are some of the most perplexing to us right and but he says the reason why is because of the angels there in 1st Peter chapter 1 and verse 12 it talks about the gospel and how that the angels desire to look into that they've got an interest in what's going on with the gospel in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 10, it talks about the mystery of the church. Paul, through that passage, is explaining how it was, the church was a mystery. No one knew that Jews and Gentiles would be one in one body for thousands of years. But now God's revealed it. And he says the reason why is that so angels would know the manifold wisdom of God. That somehow, through what God is doing in his kingdom and in the church, angels are standing back saying, whoa, God is so wise, look how smart he is, and they're giving him glory from it. There's some kind of undeniable link between the two, so much that in Revelation 2 and 3, there are seven churches written about, and Jesus is writing letters to them, but he doesn't write it to the churches, he writes it to the angels of those churches. I don't pretend like I know everything, but I do have three things that are in your notes that I I want you to consider about this. That God's kingdom is bigger than humans. He's got a bigger purpose out there. There are some people who would teach you that the theme of the Bible is redemption for mankind. And God's got something bigger that he's doing than just that. It's bigger than just salvation of men. Even our salvation plays into a bigger purpose that he has. It's easy to think that we're it. The second thing is God's kingdom is bigger than this church. And it's easy for, I know for us, to kind of get in the world where you think, this is where God is working, right here in my hometown. Like those apostles thought, when they didn't want to send anybody out, they didn't want to leave out of Jerusalem. Man, it's great here. God's doing an awesome work. It's easy to think this is what the Christian life and God's kingdom is all about. But listen, God's kingdom is so much bigger that's what God was trying to tell me back in 2010 when He said, I want you to have a bigger vision with what I want to accomplish in your life and in your church. It's bigger than that. And the last one is God's kingdom is bigger than me. Because I loved Oakland Heights Baptist Church, that's our mother church. I loved it. I had a lot of great relationships there. I mean, I really do. I have fellowship with believers there that will never go away. We live in different places. We don't get to see each other very often anymore. In fact, um, when I was here for the Bible conference, I saw a couple of those guys more than I've seen them, and I live 10, 15 miles away. So it was tough for me to leave. For the people on our team, it was tough for them to leave. Some of those guys grew up in that church from the time they were babies. But the kingdom is bigger than me. And it's bigger than my preferences. It's bigger than my desires. And that's what God was challenging me to do is, is understand that God's kingdom is bigger. He's got something that he's, he wants to accomplish in this world. And establishing his kingdom. And he's inviting you and me to be part of it. The last thing I want to do is just help you to see that this passage, it not only deals with the kingdom of God and with the church, but it deals with us. Because God's design for you is that you start small by receiving the seed, the Word of God. That you would allow it to be sown, to be planted into your heart. That's God's design for every human being on planet Earth. He wants for you to believe the gospel. In a previous uh, parable, Jesus tells, in Mark chapter 4, Jesus tells about four types of ground. And three of those types of ground, they couldn't produce or sustain life. But there was a fourth type. The verse is up on the screen, or you can look at it in Mark chapter 4. It's verse 20. It says, And these are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word and receive it and bring forth fruit. Some, some 30 fold, some 16, some 100. There's good ground, and what God wants you to be is good ground to receive his word, to believe. The gospel. That's how spiritual life begins. Maybe you're here this morning. Maybe you've come to church for a long time or maybe this is your first time here. But you've never had a time when you received the gospel. Maybe you knew some facts about it. Yeah, I believe, you know, yeah, I've heard Jesus died and Easter's about the resurrection. But has there been a time when you received it? And you embraced it for salvation. God's designed you to start small, but then he wants you to grow up. Babies are great. I love babies. Especially now that I don't have one. It's like one of those deals where you can hold the baby for a few minutes and be like, okay, there you go. It's crying now. You can have it. Babies are great, and it's probably, you know, cool to be a baby. You know? Like, hey, I'm not in that tight space anymore. And light, and people, and, you know, I don't know, maybe they don't like it. They're crying all the time. (laughs) But you know, babies aren't cool if they stay babies forever. You want to grow up, in fact, some of the things, man, teenagers can, you guys, you guys are with me on this, the things that you enjoy most about life, you enjoy when you grow up, right? You're always thinking, man, when I'm 16, I'm getting a car. When I'm 18, I'm moving out you know, growing up is where all the fun is. And I'm convinced people who are genuinely born again are dissatisfied with the Christian life because they're living as babies. Because it's just no fun to wear a diaper all the time. I've tried it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's just not fun. It's, it's not fun to have somebody spoon feed you stuff you don't want. It's not fun to be stuck in a, cradle or something all the time but when you grow up you learn that life is really quite enjoyable and most people would prefer to just keep on living that's the way it is with your spiritual life in fact outside uh you've got four giant circles right to to attend learn engage and lead where are you at in that process are you growing everything great about the kingdom of god everything great about the church everything great about your spiritual life Will happen through a process of growth. And the last thing I want you to see is God's designed you to start small, to believe the gospel. He's designed you to grow up, and He's also designed you to reach out. And what's really cool is God has strategically placed you right in the middle of coworkers who are lost and friends and family who need the gospel. God has strategically placed you in a neighborhood with people who need the Lord. And that's cool, because guess what you got? The seed. So you just have to sow the seed into people's hearts. And then what's going to happen is God is going to call some of you to be those great branches that'll be shot out from this church to be somewhere else. Maybe it's across a county line, maybe it's across an ocean, but God's kingdom is, is bigger than just right here my prayer is that wherever you're at today that you'd be obedient and follow his design he wants you to start small he wants you to grow up he wants you to reach out would you bow your heads with me